We have a Twitch live stream coming up. It's that time you've been dreaming about. Hey, was that a clue to this month's topic? Maybe. We're recording a bonus episode on February 19th, 4 p.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. Eastern. You can find us on twitch.tv slash swghosts. If you can't make it, Patreon listeners $5 and above will receive the recording on patreon.com slash sexwithghosts. We're drinking chamomile gin cocktails. Check our socials for the drink recipe. That's at sexwithghosts underscore on Twitter and Instagram. See you then. Feel like after taking so much time off, it's a different, it's a different experience. Hmm. Is it? More than just being like more of a lightweight. Um, there's a little bit of that, but there's also like very. It's become much more intentional. I would say drinking has. I'm only drinking kind of when I. I mean, it's definitely when I feel like it, but it's definitely more more uh, thoughtful than maybe before. So like this weekend, I had a some wine with dinner because I was like oh I'm making this dish that's like a like a big part of like the the dish is red wine so I was like I should drink red wine with that and then it was kind of funny because I I just got like a small can like an eight ounce can and I was like it's kind of hard to finish almost huh like not um definitely not like in a in a bad way but more like yeah, it just seems way more intentional than like previous drinking where you're like, oh, this is an action I'm used to doing. And then you don't really ah, taste yes. it or enjoy it or, you know what I mean? Yes. Definitely. So I'm trying to be more cognizant of things like that, which um, I think sounds like a dick thing to say, but. I mean, that's, I don't think so. I think that that's what you, well, if you're thinking about your mental health like that's literally what you should do like for everything not yeah. just drinking like how you spend your time or whatever I just feel like if I don't know like five years ago if I heard well five years ago if I heard me say that I'd be like that's interesting I'd want to know more but like 10 years ago I would have been like okay shut up <laughs> well I'm over it yeah <laughs> Welcome to Sex with Ghost. I am Bridget here with our historian of English monarchy, <laughs> Molly. Hey, Bridget. And today we are doing Henry VIII. But before we get to that, I think we have to do. A patron, sh Patreon, Patreon shout out. Yay. Uh, Matt Johnson just joined us. I actually know Matt from Oskaloosa. I think 
that's great. So thank you, Matt. You are the bomb.com. Matt and I did do high school theater together and we technically did professional theater together as we worked for a professional theater in high school called the George Daly Auditorium. And they would bus all these old people to <laughs> theater. That's how they made their t- ticket sales. But Matt Johnson and I hung lights and partied in the booth. And I think we attended some high school drinking parties together. Wild time. And we were a marching band together. So Matt Johnson, thank you for joining us. You sound like an awesome person. And I wish, I hope that someday I'll get to meet you. Yeah. Or, and I get to reconnect. I don't know how many years it's been since I've seen Matt in person, but I've been told I look the same, Matt. Definitely. I agree with that. If you would like a shout out, sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash sex with ghosts. You will get a shout out at our lowest level and recordings of bonus episodes and more. We join the other levels. And once we get to 20 patrons, we're going to start making merchandise. You can wear our swag and we will give patrons, of course, some swag. Yes. And also just a tease for the future. We are going to start recognizing our, the anniversary, the, I don't know. We're doing anniversary shout outs. Thank you, Bridget. Yes. So stay tuned for that. We know we missed some of you already, but we will be giving you shout outs in the coming. Because we love you guys. Yes. And you deserve more than one shout out if you've been a patron for longer than a year. And speaking of shout outs, I gave a shout out, was it last month or the month before to Bailey Kelly? And Bailey Kelly is the one who sent us this series that's right, multiple episodes that we have planned for Henry VIII starting today. So thank you to Bailey Kelly for making that suggestion. Molly, what is your connection to Henry VIII? This is uh, this was a great topic, and I'm really glad that Bailey suggested it because it definitely feels like one of those topics where you can just deep dive and... I'm not sure. You know what? Maybe we should say it and our patrons can tell us oh, and our listeners in general can tell us if they want it. But I'm kind of interested in looking at the other Henry's because when we were first researching this, we kept on being confused between Henry the sixth and Henry the seventh and Henry the eighth. Because they all let have us- stuff happening. Yes. Yeah, so let's know if you want to hear more about that. But For me, I did watch the Tudors, the stars. As research? No, no. I watched it back when it was being released. Um, I started it and lost interest because it felt like, and I watched only the early episodes. Maybe it gets better. And if it does, I'm sorry, but it felt like, 
um, how salacious can we be with the monarchy? Right. And I did want to say, I know that is not completely accurate, um, but it is just, I enjoyed it because I thought that um, Jonathan Reese Myers was a very attractive man. What's what's Jonathan Reese Myers also known for doing? I don't know if he's done anything else. I just oh. remember him from that, to be honest. Is he Henry? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, we have Natalie Dormer as Anne Boleyn, which was great casting as well. But it definitely, like, yeah, they take a lot of liberties. It's not completely accurate. It focuses on a lot more sex and such. Which I'm not upset. I mean, I like a show with plenty of sex. Oh, sure, sure. No, I'm just saying that I do not claim to know a bunch about the tutors because I watched that show. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. That's why I was laughing when I thought you did that research no 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 that was not no 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 like i watched a lot of soft porn to understand the actual sexual tension between henry and his wives no no i enjoyed the television because it was kind of the beginning of i i don't know if i've mentioned this term on this podcast i feel like i have it was the beginning of peak tv where they, they were making television shows to the qualities of movies. And I mean, I, I'm, it's been a while since I've seen it. So maybe someone's going to laugh at me and say, no, that really wasn't that good. But I thought it was great at the time. Back in- I, I think you're right in this sense, because that's why I started watching it was the aesthetic. I was like, oh, this looks like kind of what HBO is doing at yeah, the time. Yeah. And so you're like, oh, this might be legit. And then was it long into it before I was like, I think I'm just watching soft porn, which I don't have any, I don't have anything, no problems with watching soft porn, but it was like, you know, you got to prioritize your time. And then also I have always had a kind of passing interest in British royalty, just because that's kind of a, an American thing, uh, an American middle-class white person thing, maybe. <laughs> But um, super bizarre, but you're not wrong. I just uh, I think it's really fun to go down and look through um, like the family trees and timelines and stuff. It's just so interesting. Well, it was the most powerful empire right before America became a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. We were kind of nothing until like World War One. And especially World War II, we were like, look, bitch, we're not going anywhere. And definitely mentioned this before, but I, ever since I visited England, I'm like a super big fan now. So like, I want to go back and spend time there. So it's a pretty fun topic for me. How about you? Um, Henry VIII, I don't have any big connections other than being raised Catholic. And seeing what this guy did to the Pope at the time. Sure. All because at the time that I learned about him and defying the Pope, which will come up, I'm sure, while we're talking today, I I felt like, oh, my God, what a political, arrogant move. Not realizing that that's really just the theme of religion. (laughs) entirely 
like what he did was not actually that new or unique, but probably shocking for the time. And especially because of his original stance with the Catholic church, which was very supportive. Yeah. But it's not original when you look at the history of religions and politics. Sure. Yeah. So for today, Molly and I each have kind of a focus to bring in. We're going to go through who Henry was and, of course, his wives, maybe a mistress or two. And my focus is going to be more or my little addition, I guess, to Molly, who did a lot of the heavy lifting on the research of this, is the paranormal side, of course, where we might find these people post-death. And Molly, would you like to talk about what your focus will be on? Yes. So I, when I was looking at the Henry VIII stuff, a lot of the interesting things that I kept coming back to were the kind of hypotheses as to why he was the way he was. And a lot of that had to do with his children and lack thereof. So I'm definitely focusing more on the health and heirs of Henry VIII. Yeah, I mean, he did, okay, he did terrible things and his health extremely declined at the end. So people have all kinds of theories of what was wrong with him. And I'll edit this out if I'm spoiling something. Oh, no, no, that's that's great. And I did, I that you just reminded me of something. I also want to mention that, of course, I'm not a doctor or a psychologist, and most of the people doing the speculating may be doctors or psychologists, but they did not treat Henry VIII, so they do not know for a fact that any of these things are true. I just thought it was interesting And it's really more of a speculation thing as opposed to a diagnosis thing. I think that's a really good point because there was rumors for a long time that he had syphilis and that was the cause of a lot of the problems, but that was definitely disproved as no one else seemed to have any symptoms of syphilis. Right. And I will discuss that a little bit later as well, or probably in a a subsequent episode just uh, some of the facts regarding that, but there's also some other things. So we'll see what happens. Nice. Do you want to go ahead and start us off? Sure. I just wanted to give us all a basic understanding of who Henry VIII was. I'm sorry. This is going to be the um, tell it to me like I'm five version. Yeah. If you want the more in-depth version of historical Henry VIII. I think we all know this is not the podcast. No, no. We just want to kind of be all on the same page that Henry Tudor was born in 1491. He had five siblings and only three survived, including Arthur, Margaret, and Mary. His older brother, Arthur, was supposed to take the throne. So he grew up not really expecting to be a king. Which at that time meant that like Arthur would have been sent to a special like grooming school 
and Henry would have been sent to probably a different school, which would have taught him to be like a member of nobility. And another thing I read was people had speculated that he was supposed to go in the religious order. And so I guess it would have been common if technically because he was the second son, he would have sort of been prepped to be like plan B if something happened to Arthur. But um, if they had like a third or fourth son, that son would have been expected to be in the religious order, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I also, after doing all this research, I do find it kind of hard to believe that they would not expect these children to die because there is so much death and very young age death. Well, and at this time, there's like several epidemics going on. Like you have the the bublon the bub what is that the bubonic yes the bubonic plague you have and then there's even in the time of Henry ruling there's other plagues that come up like the sweat the sweats yeah right and um, Arthur died at fifteen in fifteen o two so then Henry became king of England in 1509 at age 17 when his father, King Henry VII, died. Just so you know, his mother, the uh, his mother Elizabeth of York, the queen consort of England, had died in 1503. And Henry Tudor was king until his death in 1547. Let's uh, kind of talk about his qualities because I think this is important. Right? Oh, 100%. Especially for someone who kind of grows up to be a bit of a villain. Yes, very much so. And it's interesting because, I don't know, I I think it's interesting because I had always, this is a, a later point, but I'm going to make it now because I think it's still related, the idea that Queen Mary, his first daughter, who when she was queen, the Protestants were really against her and thought that her reign was very tyrannical. And so they called her Bloody Mary. But at the same time, like, I wonder the people who would have been for her, the Catholics left in England, probably really loved the reign. So it just depends on what you think. Well, who's writing the history yeah, books? who's writing the history books, exactly. But anyway, Henry was very charismatic, athletic, enjoyed art, music, culture. He was very highly educated. And I think that's why it makes a very good television show, because he really was those kind of things that the actor portrays. He was considered to be the most handsome prince in all of Europe. So, yes, when I was reading some of these things, it was like, are people just saying these things because he's king or was it really true? Probably less incest in his line, considering the Tudors, their lineage was new and like came from the War of the Roses I was reading. So like this epic war happens so many like bloodlines get taken out that the Tudors kind of 
rise out of this. And that's what the added pressure, I guess, for Henry was, is that because it's new to this family line to be of this high of nobility, you better have a son to keep your family in the mix. Yeah, that does make sense. Fun fact, he even wrote some music, which is kind of cool. He also was a fan of fun and enjoyed gambling, masquerades, and dancing. Oh, yeah. Nice. A party king. He was a party king, but I, after searching around, it seemed like quite a few kings were party kings. <laughs> he, his, uh, his dimension, he was six foot two, which was taller than the average man at the time. He had broad shoulders and muscular arms and legs. Um, some measurements from armor that he wore in 1514 seen at the armory in the Tower of London showed he had a 35-inch waist and a 42-inch chest. Very sporty figure. He was a passionate sportsman with a never-ending flow of energy, and it was said that he could wear out several horses in a single day of hunting. I don't know what that really says because what? Why are horses being worn out? Yeah, is that a euphemism? I don't think so. I think that they're trying to say the horse. I mean, at least what I would read into it is the horses weren't very uh, athletic. Feels like a worse sign on the horses than anything, but I don't know. Sounds like those lazy nobility horses. (laughs) He also participated in tennis, wrestling, archery, and tilting. And he was reported to be one of the best jousters in England. Another claim that I wonder if it was just because he was king of England or not, but who knows. Jousting is a very dangerous sport, which requires a lot of physical strength, conditioning, skill, and will play into some of the things later in his life. Yes, in 1536, he actually suffered during a joust, a huge fall where the horse fell on top of him and he was unconscious for, I saw, from two hours to several hours. But recently they're linking and again, kind of like your disclaimer at the top, none of these people actually treated him. But there is speculation that from this accident, it caused a head injury that affected his personality because allegedly there's a difference between prior the accident and after the accident, which once we get to it, 1536 was not a great year for uh, people in Henry's life. That is very true. So it, it's there's a lot of things that could have happened, but I would have to say that being unconscious for two hours is a pretty big deal. Like we know from from now that that can't be good. So if you know anything about serial killers, which I think we can call Henry serial killer, considering that he um, had over 50,000 people killed in his time of king. Head injuries are a uh, big one. However, it's interesting you say that because I also read that pretty much immediately when he took office, took office, became king, um, he 
ex he had two of his father's advisors executed like pretty much immediately so he did have some bloodlust right away oh yeah okay so this guy's just kind of always been sick that's kind of what i think but at the same time some of the things that i was reading were saying like well he wanted to establish well who knows what he wanted but it seemed like he wanted to establish a very uh, obedient court so they would do what he wanted and there was no one was going to fuck around because they knew he might murder them. No pushback. Ew. Keep them in line. One um, explanation, one description of his attractiveness came from 1510 when a Venetian ambassador, Sebastian Gustinian, Gustinian. Or is it the J sound? Gustinian. Just. Justinian. Yeah, Justinian. 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 Sebastian Justinian visited the English court and recorded that, quote, he was extremely handsome. Nature could not have done more for him. He had a beard which looks looked like gold and a complexion as delicate and far as a woman's, which I think far was fair at that time. That's funny. It's funny because, like, you look at these old paintings of what was, like, hot, and it, some of it, you know, I guess stands the test of time, and some of it is just, like, where'd your chins go? Yeah, it is weird. It is definitely weird, and I wonder, wonder about that. But for the time, you know, very fashionable. Yes, yes, and I think you can say that Different looks were attractive at different times. So makes sense. Um, a little fun fact that I want to point out is that Henry VIII would have really been into astrology. And, and this carried to even Elizabeth the first, his daughter. But they would have had astrologers come in to help them uh, predict not only what would happen in their own destiny, but also to choose dates for important events. Like when to try to conceive, when to go to battle, when to stage weddings. And it wouldn't have been seen so much as like a witchcraft thing, but as a thing that is natural to the world that they know. But also that's clearly a justification, I think, for Henry to use some, something like that. Um, and I bring that up because some point to Henry VIII's reign as the Kickstarter to the fear of witchcraft. Mm, interesting. Wow. I think that we should also discuss how the connection between astrology and science because i think that at that time they thought of astrology as a science yeah and and so it would it would not have been sub like i i mean it's possible that it's like is witchcraft just done by someone you don't like and astrology is done by someone you do or if it's just like astrologer uh, astrologists are pointing to actual things that they can see the stars 
of course, this must mean that this is actually true. Well, here's why it's the person you like or you don't like, because same with witchcraft. If you think about early witchcraft, a lot of it is actually early science. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Yeah, that's a good point. So it mu- yeah, it must be who you like and who you don't. Jeez. And as, no. as long as you don't get on the king's bad side, which will come up later, what happens when you do and what provokes that. But he seemed okay with some of it until he got bad news. Yeah, yeah. It's a little teaser. And I mean, I guess it's pro- it's very it is very similar to his thoughts on religion too, like exactly. you were alluding to. So yeah, guess that's true. Shall we move on to his first wife? Yeah. All right. It is uh, Catherine of Aragon, who was the daughter of the Spanish king and queen Ferdinand and Isabella. This didn't start out great. Because she was actually married to his older brother, Arthur. But Arthur died. And so Henry VII, his father, had to figure out how to deal with the situation. And a fun fact, Henry VII even considered taking Catherine as his wife. And that was because his whole thing was becoming allies with Spain. So he right. didn't want to send Catherine back to them. Very true. It wasn't so it's not motivated by some old pervert. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was an important alliance. And also there was a dowry involved. So there was money involved. It was complicated. Yeah. You can't just ask for a refund. That's my uh, crappy analogy. I thought it was interesting that the Pope had to grant a dispension of the marriage because canon law forbade a man to marry his brother's widow which comes from leviticus eighteen sixteen. did you know that that was in the bible i feel like i did know that and part of the reason is because it seems like a lot of men a lot of men a lot of people marry their siblings widows <laughs> Like, really? I think it's a, it feels like a common thing to me, common enough that it's a thing. Didn't uh, Biden, didn't Bo Biden do? No, Bo's the one who's dead. Hunter Biden, didn't he for a minute hook up with Bo's widow? He might have, but the thing that gets me a little bit about that is like, I don't know why the Bible would be against that. Like, it it's not. I don't find it to be a horrifying thing. Like, well, Leviticus is like the weird. Yes, yes. That's the chapter that everybody's like, what the fuck is this? Right. Don't blend your cottons or whatever. Yeah. It, it doesn't make much sense, but I still like most of most of the laws have some sort of historical context. Like, mm-hmm. yes, you shouldn't eat this animal because it classically can carry disease. So, it's made important. a lot of people sick. Right. Yes. So it makes sense. But then there's something like this where it's like, does this help anyone? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Catherine did testify that her marriage to Arthur was never consummated and she maintained this until her death. So, which is crazy because, like, it was probably never in her, what I want to say, it would never 
be in her advantage to say that they did consummate. Right. Yes. It, yes, it was very important to her. And she, she lived her life believing he would, she was the one true queen of England. So yeah, it was definitely part of her self image and stuff. She had a lot to lose. Yeah. She would have had a lot to lose if she ever admitted to that, but it's hard to, it's also hard to believe. Isn't it a little bit hard to believe? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Cause I yeah. thought they don't they do a whole ceremony like the night you get married to like bleed on the sheets and stuff. You, I think, I think you think, I think you're mixing up uh game of Thrones and reality. Well, no, there's some, um, maybe it's Russian. There's some sort of monarchy that would even like watch you consummate the marriage. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sure that there was, but I would have to imagine that if that was the case in this, then it would have been a lot harder to testify that her marriage was never consummated. It feels like that would have, and I guess that is kind of what he, Henry VIII does focus on later on, but who knows? Yeah, I feel like there's no way to know what is real or not real. The only thing would be to say the thing that the king wants you to say until it no longer benefits you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to talk a lot about his Henry VIII's children because I thought it was a, it's important to some of the health hypotheses later. Their first child was a daughter who was still born in 1510. And just so you know, Catherine was 23 when she married 17-year-old Henry VIII. So there was a bit of an age difference. And that was definitely something that they emphasized in the Tudors TV show. Their first child was a daughter who was still born in 1510. Wait, did you say that because they're doing like some sort of weird role play? Like, oh, little Henry's with an old wife. It's like the porn, like when you're on Pornhub and you're like, I effed my stepmom. No, that's not, that is not how it, what they play it out in the show as is just that Anne Boleyn is hot and young and his wife is old. I mean, I'm mostly asking because we just referred to that show as soft porn earlier. I did. I was wondering what your angle was, but sure makes Anne look more hot. Gotcha. That's what they focus on in that one. Not a MILF situation. No, no. So that would be more fun. They really (laughs) they really focus on Catherine's piety. Really missed the mark on that one. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they did. This was the early 2000s. <laughs> different, <laughs> different ideas. Uh, their first child was a daughter who was still born in 1510. And their second son, who did get a name, Henry, lived less than two months in 1511. They had two additional sons who were still born in 1513 and 1514. And then their only surviving daughter, Mary, would become Queen Mary the first in was born in 1516 they did have one additional stillborn daughter after that in 1518 but as we've already mentioned 
at least once, Henry was obsessed with having a male heir. And this is something that I didn't realize before, but at this point, Catherine was no longer able to bear any children. So it wasn't just that, like, he didn't like her or whatever. So did he know that? Because one of the things that I saw, which you are going to talk about, is Elizabeth Blount. I don't know if that's how you say her name. But she has, she, hmm. I don't want to jump ahead, I guess. Sure. Well, we can, um, I could bring up what we could, sure, to Elizabeth. Yeah. Well, I just, I wasn't sure about that because I, I was thinking that her no longer being able to bear any children was some sort of kind of redemptive thing about Henry VIII, because if he really truly believed in his heart of hearts that he needed a male heir, then Catherine was literally no longer able to provide that. And I think that's giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt, because I'm sure that all these stillborn children, he would have blamed on her instead of taking any sort of... Well, here's my my spoiler okay but with the i heard that or what i i, I heard <laughs> i read that um when elizabeth was able to have a son it told him basically um, like oh this is definitely not my pro- like not yeah. my fault i'm capable of giving birth to a healthy son it's clearly my dumb wife's fault she's out Yeah, I can see that. I think that there was probably a load of reasons. But I did want to bring in one hypothesis right now. Because it's it's not, to be honest, spoiler alert, it's not that good. There's a lot of things that aren't uh, in line with the hypothesis. But I still thought it was kind of important to mention because he does have a lot of stillborn children in his life miscarriages throughout and why why would that be well some researchers suggest that henry's blood group may have caused not only his struggle to reproduce but his both his physical and psychological deterioration later in life which we mentioned this is from a paper from bioarchaeologist Katrina Banks-Whitley and anthropologist Kira Kramer and was published in the Historical Journal, which, to mention, they are not scientists either. They're researchers of a language arts persuasion. They're not scientists in terms of uh, blood analysis yeah because they're they i mean i don't want to i don't want to um isolate our archaeologists and our anthropologist friends no it's certainly it's certainly a worthwhile endeavor but i think that doing some research regarding historical 
medical things is a little bit difficult to do. Henry could have been part of a blood group that carried the Kell antigen. And just to ask you, I had never heard of the term blood group before. Have you ever heard of it? Um, I think so. Okay. And perhaps I have too, but it just didn't ring a bell. But anyway, the I suppose it's a group of people with blood that can carry the Kell antigen or probably does carry the Kell antigen. Yeah, like don't they refer to like if you're RH negative or RH positive, that's like a blood group. Yeah, I think you're right. So it must be that. But this is specific to the Kell antigen. Yes, yes, I think so. So a man carrying the Kell antigen and a Kell negative woman can produce a healthy child in the first pregnancy, but after the first pregnancy, the antibodies that she produces during the first pregnancy will cross the placenta and attack a Kell-positive fetus in subsequent pregnancies. So actually, I do believe it was the Kell-negative woman can produce a healthy Kell-positive child in the first pregnancy. And then after the first pregnancy, the antibody she produces during the first pregnancy will cross the placenta and attack a Kell-positive fetus in subsequent pregnancies, causing the miscarriages. Oh, boy. Yes, it sounds pretty bad, but I'm glad that scientists have identified it because it seems like that would be a problem. In addition, the McLeod syndrome is a genetic disorder specific to the Kell blood group, which would provide some explanation of his physical decline and personality shift. McLeod syndrome is similar to Huntington's disease, which affects muscle coordination and causes some cognitive disorders. And McLeod syndrome develops when someone is between 30 and 40 years old, which coincides with Henry VIII's decline. It often results in damage to the heart, muscle, muscular disease, psychiatric abnormality and motor nerve function. And the authors found that Henry VIII experienced most, if not all of these symptoms. However, uh, if you listen back to five minutes ago, you'll see that uh, Henry and Catherine's firstborn not surviving is atypical to the Kell blood group hypothesis. However, it is possible that there are cases of a Kell's sensitization effect in the first pregnancy and the survival of Mary, the fifth child, can fit the Kell scenario if Mary inherited the recessive Kell gene from Henry, resulting in a healthy infant. I'm like picturing that chart when you learn about DNA with like the small letters and for the dominant gene and the small or the big letters for the dominant gene, small letters for the recessive gene. I don't like it. No, it's, it's pretty complicated, but I just, I find it to be really interesting because I think that the idea that you can explain some of these things actually through science just makes me so, it gets me excited. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just black magic witchery. 
as Bridget mentioned before, he did have a mistress. He had actually many mistresses. Is that what you found as well? I, I, it seemed like he had many mistresses. Yeah. I think there's arguments to say that he may not have had any in that, or I mean, other than Elizabeth, which is obvious, but, um, the likelihood is he probably did have many, in fact, because he was a fucking king. <laughs> he could yeah, do whatever he yeah. wanted. It's true. So Elizabeth, I think Elizabeth Blount. I, I feel like I should just say Elizabeth Blunt. I know. I want to say Blunt, too. Mm-hmm. We Google it really quick. It might be smart. We might just sound weird because we're Americans as well. If you said it in an English accent, maybe it makes more sense yeah this is i think this is blunt okay yeah it's blunt elizabeth blunt was not probably not his first mistress probably not his last mistress but an important mistress nonetheless for what i read she i don't know and you're right probably not the first but it sounded like from some of the history i read that she was the first Oh, well, it's possible. It is possible because she did conceive a son with Henry VIII who was recognized. But first, she how did she meet Henry VIII? She was a lady-in-waiting of Catherine. And she got that because her dad was bros with the king. Which makes sense. What is, what is the noun of conceive? Conception. Conception. The conception of the son happened in 1518 while Catherine was pregnant with her stillborn daughter. And the son was born in June of 1519. Wait. So she had she had a baby hanging out? No, Catherine. Oh yes. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. No. Catherine no. was pregnant with a stillborn baby. Elizabeth is getting knocked up. Right. And, and I, Elizabeth I get, is super young at this point. She's like a teenager, like 13 or 14. Right, right. I wonder if they mentioned that preg- that Catherine was pregnant as some sort of excuse, like, oh, Henry VIII couldn't have sex with his pregnant wife or whatever, you know? Like, yeah. I think they also pointed out because it's like a double failure. It's like oh, st- yeah. a stillborn and it's a daughter. And then you have the 13, 14 year old getting knocked up by the king with a son. That is fair. And it's also crazy because, like, at this time, most, like, like you said, it wasn't uncommon to have affairs. And so the rule of thumb at the time was you wanted your mistress to actually be married because if she did get pregnant, you just um... pretend like it's her husband's. And so it was very scandalous because Miss Blunt had no one to blame her pregnancy on. See, that does make sense. So her son being born in June of 1519 is notable because the exact date is unknown because there's no official records of it because they actually had hit it that well. It seems from the records, at least of the time, that it like it wasn't a huge scandal because they had hit it pretty well. Mm-hmm. However, 
once the son was born, Henry VIII did openly acknowledge the boy because, as we talked about, he was obsessed with having a son. And by showing this boy off, he was exhibiting the idea, in fact, that he could have a son and it wasn't his fault. Like a Kardashian. You hide it until you're ready for the world to know. Yikes. Elizabeth did name her son Henry Fitzroy to make sure that everyone knew that he was the king's son. And it seems like he was partially raised in the royal nursery, but then also partially raised with his mother and her husband in the north. And he did receive some formal education. So Henry VIII was involved in his life, presumably. Yep. The name Fitzroy is basically directed as son of the king. Oh, is that what it means? Yes, I, <laughs> it's, I read that, but um, why? Well, that... I think he was okay with it. I mean, he had been married to... His other wife now for what, at least a decade, no son. He's starting to think somehow he's probably tied to her pregnancy failures, knocks up this poor girl on her first time. And it's like, oh, I can have a boy. This is great news. Everybody should know it's not me. Clearly, my wife is not doing her duty which her one duty is to have a son. So she yeah. sucks, not this guy. This guy yeah. can do it. So Henry Fitzroy was elevated to Duke in 1525. And it's even possible that he would have became king, but he died of tuberculosis at 17 in 1536. He also, at one point, Henry VIII wanted to cement his lineage so he was trying to arrange a marriage between henry fitzroy and elizabeth oh yeah i do think i read that which like brother brother and sister (laughs) yes it is very possible that henry they did have other illegitimate children but this is the one that he recognized that's another reason why i think this one is the first one because it's a boy it shows that like oh i'm not a fuck up my wife is obviously the fuck up and so it would have been pivotal whereas like i think any out of wedlock babies after this it's like who the hell are you you know it's possible but at the same time like no i'm probably wrong but Based on his pattern of behavior, the idea that some of his mistresses at least would have been nobility, you would think that he would kind of have to recognize some of those illegitimate children. Though at the same time, if those people were married and then they just pass them off as their husband's children, I don't know. Yeah, it probably just depends on what their standing is in the court. And if you're keeping track, this case cannot confirm or deny the blood group hypothesis. And Henry Fitzroy did not have any children himself. So this affair, like I said, ended up 
in his divorce with Catherine because showed she was not fulfilling her wifely duties, as I'd mentioned. So after they divorced, she just got her own residency and she lived until 1536. She died on January 7th at Kimbolton Castle and she was buried at Peterborough Cathedral. So she had moved to Kimbolton after, or actually she was banished there after refusing to grant the king a divorce of course she didn't really have any say in it and there was a divorce and when she died there were rumors that she was poisoned by Anne Boleyn who we'll talk about here in a moment or Henry VIII or both and while her body was being prepared for burial they found that her heart had a black growth on it which was likely cancer so she probably died of cancer that is probably true, but I do, I don't blame anyone for thinking that it was something else. Yeah. Because I imagine that wasn't a common sight for people. Considering the amount of drama going on between your husband wanting to divorce you, which is scandalous, having a baby with a teenage woman who is not claimed for is very scandalous. So like what's poison on top of all of this? So while at Kimbolton, she spent most of her time in one chamber of the castle. So people have claimed to see her ghosts there. And they've also supposedly seen her ghost walking along the inner gallery. So if you want to meet up with Catherine, you can find her there. Now, I have a question about that. Who lives in Kimbolton? Is it? royalty is it nobility at this time uh no like after Catherine dies I would imagine this is my educated guess of what I know about these buildings so King Henry himself actually went into debt because he bought an f ton of castles and and palaces so he had like a lot of hanging out places and most of these I believe stay with what would be the state or the family and it would be up to somebody within that family line to sort of upkeep that manner and I think over time because of the the amount of money of the real estate and so forth I think that was a huge thing in Downton Abbey you know it's like do we keep the abbey or do we sell it and it becomes privatized And eventually a lot of these properties do and did become privatized. As far as Kim Bolton now, I, if I had to guess, I would say it's open to the public because I felt like I found this information on a website that was like, you can go visit. It looks like Kim Bolton was turned into a co-educational independent day and boarding school. Oh, there you go. Yeah, because I was just curious as to who these people were who are seeing the ghosts. Oh, yeah, it definitely sounds like, I don't know, I got it from a website that was like, you can visit the ghosts. I was like, oh, it must be open to the public. So his second wife was Anne Boleyn, who was also a lady-in-waiting of Catherine. I found that in 
February or March of 1526 when Henry VIII started pursuing Anne. Who he met through her sister. Yes, because supposedly her sister had been a mistress of his. So gross. Yeah, I find it difficult. Have you ever slept with brothers? No. Or siblings, I guess? No, I really haven't. And I just, I don't think I would want to because not that like, I don't know, it just seems like worse than sleeping with your friend's ex, right? When I first started dating Mike, that was one of the first questions he asked me. And I always remembered it because I was like, that's what are, why are you asking me this? <laughs> I didn't realize at the time he has three oh, brothers. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Goodness. And it's funny because it kind of goes against what I was saying at the beginning with the whole marrying your brother's widow. But I think it's different if they die. <laughs> yeah, you, it seems messier. For yeah, I think so. But one of them dies. It's just polite. <laughs> Something like that. She did resist his attempts to seduce her and refused to become his mistress. Many people speculate that it was because she wanted to be the queen. She's playing for keeps. Yeah, which does make sense and did result in Henry VIII becoming focused on annulling his marriage to Catherine. As we alluded to before, it is the cause of his beginnings of cutting ties with the Catholic Church and dismantling Catholic Church's power in England, which is which is a whole nother episode that we will not get into because it, it is a lot. Something I didn't realize until I was researching for this is that he was actually a huge supporter of the Catholic yes. Church. So this was kind of like the like, oh, I've written so many nice things about you. And I was like, England is Catholic. We love Catholics. You won't let me get a divorce? Fuck you. I'm talking to Jesus yeah. now. One of his titles I read was the defender of the faith given by the Pope. And even after the split, he continued to use that title, apparently. Oh, yeah. I had read that until his death, he he thought of himself still as Catholic, but like a reformed hey, Very interesting. Huh. So... He and Anne Boleyn were formally married on January 25th of 1533 after a secret wedding on November 14th of 1532. Anne was crowned queen on June 1st of 1533. And on September 7th of the same year, she gave birth to Queen Elizabeth I. She had either a miscarriage or a false pregnancy in 1534 and then miscarried two more sons in 1535 and 1536 the 1536 one i read in connection with that horse accident like because that happened in 1536 that she was like in shock caused her to miscarry like yeah that's that's what right right it feels uh like a little bit of a excuse but if you're keeping track, this is a textbook example of the Kel aloe immunization with a healthy child first and then subsequent late-term miscarriages. Another fun fact, most of the doctors, midwives, such and such, did believe that Queen Elizabeth I was going to be a son and told both Henry and Anne Boleyn that. So it was a surprise when she came out. As a daughter. I feel like, would you say that for all of them? But 
wouldn't you be afraid of getting punished when it didn't come true? Well, you're just prolonging your punishment. Doesn't sound, it just seems like a very dangerous time to be alive and associated with Henry VIII. Uh, Very good that you point that out because as we mentioned, Henry was okay with some aspects of being able to tell the future. And one of these people that he came to know was Elizabeth Barton, who was also known at the time as the nun of Kent. She was a self-proclaimed teller of divine revelations. And she came to know Henry through his right-hand man and religious advisor, Cardinal Wolseley. She was a 19-year-old domestic servant when she made her first prophecy about a child dying, um, and this became true. So this kind of got her some fame. Um, when she met with King Henry, she impressed him with some of her revelations that happened to also align with his own beliefs and politics. Of course. Until, that is, she prophesied that Henry would die within a few months if he married Anne Boleyn. Now, that makes me feel like she had an agenda. And I think a lot of people felt that way, especially Henry, because she does not get a um, a fond farewell after making this. In fact, she becomes known as the Mad Maid of Kent, and she becomes charged with being guilty of false prophecies and being involved in a conspiracy to kill the king, which led to her being hanged at Tyburn on April 20th, 1534. Now, why do you think she would have said that? I'm sure that Anne Boleyn's connection to the king was already scandalous. So she was probably leaning into that scandal. Sure. Yeah. But it, I, I do get a little bit shocked that people of this age had so much gall, you know, like belief in themselves. I don't know. Well, I also feel like we're not talking a world of like modern conveniences. Like you're probably going to die from the sweats. Yeah. Yeah. Or tuberculosis or falling off a horse. So it's probably a lot easier to take big swings when you find yourself in a high political position. Wow. Yeah. Might be right. So far against my sensibilities. (laughs) Yeah. I would be like the one that's like, oh, please let me clean your stool for a night in the castle. Right. So to follow up with Anne. His marriage to her ended terribly because she wasn't able to produce a healthy son. She became labeled a sorceress and that she was a sexual libertine with unnatural sexual urges. But she was not executed on those grounds. Instead, they charged her with treason. And I also read that they killed her younger brother as well. And accused him as also being a sexual libertine. And rumors were that she was having an affair with her brother. Right. Yes. They definitely mentioned that on the Tudors. 
and also a lot of the articles and such that I read did mention that they had a very close relationship. And then I start to get confused between Anne Boleyn and Marjorie Tyrell because it seems like they're the same and they were played by the same person. Yes. So there was, did you read anything about her being bisexual or anything like that? I have read that her brother was. Okay. You read that she was. No, I did not. I think I'm confusing her and Marjorie Tyrell. Oh, yeah. I read that her brother was possibly gay or bisexual, which, I mean, if you know that about your brother and you don't want them to be arrested for being gay or killed, then you probably are going to be a little bit closer and protective of them. That makes a lot of sense to me. But it's really hard, as we've mentioned, to like retroactively label someone's sexuality. Yes, very true. And also, it, it, especially for the grounds of treason, back to that kind of argument, I did read, I think a lot of people do talk about how she was very power hungry, like she was definitely angling for power and such. So that kind of argument, or I don't know if I can say indefinitely, but it appears like that could have been the case. Yeah. And I think that's also one of those who's writing the Mm, history books. So if we deem Dan Bullen to be this possible witch of a woman, then she must have definitely had an unnatural agenda. But it's like, any woman in that situation, if the king's coming after you and you see a way to benefit, especially in a world where like you don't have any modern conveniences, I find it kind of like bullshit that sort of narrative of like, well, she was trying to get in there and stay in there. And it's like, yeah, I I would have too. <laughs> like right. Yeah. Um, but people believe because of this that she would what happened between her and the king, um, the narrative that she be that she somehow bewitched Henry, it kind of started opening up people seeing that, like, oh, you know, women are totally capable of having the devil in cahoots with them. And and it wasn't long after her arrest and execution that people started coming forward more with claims of witchcraft. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And in the case of Anne Bolin and her ghostly figure, she actually is rumored to be haunting multiple places. Hmm. So people say they've seen her in the Tower of London, wandering around the grounds, always headless. Occasionally she has her head under her arm. She's been sighted at Hever Castle. This would have been her childhood home. And people claim to see her, especially around Christmas time, um, usually crossing the castle's bridge over River Eden, um, near where Henry VIII first courted her. She's also been seen at Blickling Hall. This hall belonged to Anne's father and may have also been her birthplace. Again, people claim to see her 
headless on the anniversary of her death in a carriage drawn by a headless coachman. It's also believed her father haunts um, the hall as well. Then there's Hampton Court Palace, which was King Henry's favorite palace, supposedly. And there's definitely more hauntings there that we'll get to later. But there she's seen wearing a blue dress and just walking within the castle. She's been seen at Marwell Hall. This is where Henry VIII and Jane Seymour, who we'll talk about next in the next episode, where they spent a lot of time before getting married. And then people say they've seen her at Windsor Castle, which is just a popular Tudor haunt in general. (laughs) They say she haunts the Dean's Cloister again with her head under her arm. Now, I have some questions about that. How do people know that it's her? That is a very good question. I had the same thoughts as I was researching this. And the best answer I can come up with is that people have been saying it for 500 years, that that's who that is. And that just becomes the oral tradition that we all accepted. Yeah, that makes more sense because otherwise it's like, how could this one ghost look any different than other ghosts from, of person from 600 years ago, you know? Yeah. And there were multiple people being executed by losing their hands. So, right. Because what's interesting too is, I guess, a little bit of a spoiler. There is one of the wives that does not have any reported ghosts and that may also be because there was no drama for the most part while she was married to him so you're saying that at least i would imagine most people believe that ghosts occur because there's some sort of tumultuous situation they're not done with their lives yeah they're they're, they themselves are controversial right like someone who's well-loved they're going to pass on. Yes. Gotcha. Somebody yep. who caused a lot of ruckus. Of course, of course they're holding on. <laughs> of course they're still with us. That does make sense to me. So how do you feel? How do you feel about Henry VIII now? Um, I don't know. There's a lot to think about. In, in general, I think that I like him less probably, which is usually the case when doing more deep dives into any sort of royalty or nobility because in the end it's like you're just a person and you think you're the shit and you're not so eh. and the amount of people who died while he was king that he ordered to death is like absurd like i saw between 50 to 70,000 people that's a huge number, especially in the 1500s here. It's like, dude, isn't the sweats and the wars like yeah, doing enough no. damage? Jeez, yeah, that is very true. Ugh, disturbing. So next week we will cover some more wives and I think we'll be able more to get ghosts. more ghosts, more, more blood work, more disease. Yeah. Until then, Molly, where can people find you and ask you about taxes or 
suggest topics. Yes, uh, you can find me at on Twitter and Instagram at MollyMM9. And we definitely like to hear topics. Uh, it's great to, uh, we definitely wouldn't have come up with this subject on our own. So thank you again. Yes, thank you, Bailey. Thank you, Bailey. Thank you again, Bailey. And also, if you're, if you are struggling with taxes, which I know a lot of people may be coming up on that, you can contact me at Molly. You can contact me, Molly, at m3virtualaccounting.com. Ah, how about you? <laughs> you can find me on the same platforms at Bridget underscore Socket. You can find this podcast at sexwithghost underscore and give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. That helps let people know that we are a real podcast. And as we mentioned before, and I believe at the top of this episode, we have a Patreon and we do a Twitch hang once a month. If you're listening to this, the Saturday of the 19th, that is tonight. And if you want a recording, $5 and up gets recording at patreon.com slash sex with ghosts our twitch tonight you heard it at the top twitch.tv slash sw ghosts i think that's all we got great see you next week bye